0: Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. In fact, I want you to know over the next... Ten weeks together, we're going to spend time walking through a series on the Ten Commandments. I promise you, we will venture back in to Mark and finish out that book, but I thought as we began this year, it would be helpful for us to walk through this series together. I had someone ask me leading into this week, hey, what are you going to be preaching about? I said, I'm really excited. I'm going to be doing a series on the Ten Commandments And their response was, oh. (laughs) And maybe this morning that's your response as you think about this series. Maybe for you, you kind of think about the Ten Commandments, maybe like the instructions that come with a piece of Ikea furniture. Sometimes they're helpful, sometimes they're not. Some of you just throw them away. You don't really care. You're going to give it a go. But I want you to know this morning, as we walk through this series, that for us, as we look at the Ten Commandments, my hope, my prayer is that you would fall in love with the truth of God's Word, that you would walk through this series. One, being challenged and convicted by the truth of God's word, but two, that you would see God as more glorious and more amazing than you did when you started this series with me. And so this morning, as we prepare, we're going to each week read through Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 21, all of the commandments, and then We'll zoom back in each week on one commandment at a time. So let's look together. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. And God spoke all these words, saying, "'I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, "'out of the house of slavery,' You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said Amen. As you take notes this morning, you'll see there in your handout a place to write down a main idea that will be there each week. And I want you to know as well that the outline is going to be the same each week as well. In fact, as we walk through each of these commandments, we're going to look at them in their immediate context as the Lord gives them to his people. How do we best understand that now? Then we're going to look at it from a canonical context. That is all of Scripture. What does it say about the truth of that commandment and how God's people are to respond to that? And then we're going to back up from that, zoom out even more, and ask the question for ourselves How do we best understand the truth of this commandment and how do we live it out? So if you're taking notes, write down this main idea. It will guide us as we consider this first commandment in verse 3. It's this truth. There is only one God who truly deserves our worship. He has revealed himself through his word and he commands us to worship him alone. There is only one God who truly deserves our worship. And he has revealed himself to us through his word. His word is his unveiling of who he is. And he commands us, in light of who he is, we are to worship him and him alone. I want you to know that there are some key reasons, key purposes that God gives his people these Ten Commandments. And so this slide will also be on the screen each week. You may want to write this down. I know that there's going to be a lot of notes this week, but I promise you if you write really small and buy a magnifying glass, you'll be fine, okay? But here's what I want you to understand. When we think about, when we consider the Ten Commandments that God gives I want us to recognize the purpose for which they are given. It's fourfold. First, they reveal the character of God. The 10 Commandments reveal the character of God. In fact, Paul would say in Romans chapter 7 verse 12 that the law of God is good, it is true, it is holy, it is righteous. All of those character qualities of God. And as we walk through the commandments, what we're going to understand and grasp is that they point us to the reality of the character of God. Who is he and what is he like? How do we understand who he is and how we are to worship him. Not only did the Ten Commandments reveal the character of God, but here's the second truth. They expose our sinfulness. In fact, Paul would say that the Ten Commandments function much like a mirror in our lives. They're able to show us our sinfulness. Because the Ten Commandments reveal the character of God, they reveal his standard. Here is what you are to do. Here is what you are to be. This is the standard of God that he lays out before us. And what it reminds us of is that we fall short of the standard that God has. You say, well, what is that standard? It is perfect righteousness. That is the standard you may think, well, that doesn't sound very good, which here's where number three comes in. The Ten Commandments drive us to Jesus because he is the only one who perfectly kept the law of God. In fact, Scripture is clear for us that Jesus came and he said that he did not come to abolish the law but to fulfill the law to perfectly keep the law of God, to live in perfect righteousness, the lives that we should have lived but cannot because of sin. And so as we think about the Ten Commandments, they should drive us to recognize our only hope for righteousness is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And then here's the fourth one. They guide us To righteousness. So I want you to understand that the Ten Commandments is not just the fact that you can't keep them in your own strength and your own power. Jesus kept them perfectly for you, and so his righteousness, when we trust Christ as our Savior, covers us. Yes, all of that is true. And you may think in that, then we just don't have to worry about it anymore. But I want you to know that Paul says that's not an option for us as followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, in fact, what happens is when Christ saves us from our sin, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in our lives, watch this, and empowers us, Paul tells us, to walk in righteousness. So as we think about the Ten Commandments, you say, well, do they apply to us today? And the answer is, of course they apply to us today. And the only way possible for us to walk in righteousness is for the Holy Spirit of God to work in our lives to bring us to look more and more like Jesus every single day. We call that sanctification. So we've been justified by Christ, but we are called to walk in obedience to him. With that as our framework, With that as the cornerstone, as we think about the Ten Commandments and why do they exist, why did God give them to us, let's zoom in now and look at this commandment we receive, the first one, you shall have no other gods before me. Let's look at it in its immediate context. I want you to know that as you look at verse 1 of chapter 20 in Exodus, It's very clear that God is delivering these words, these commandments to Moses, and Moses is to take them to the people of Israel. Moses is to deliver them and to say to them, here is what God is like. Here is the standard to expose their sinfulness, to recognize that they desperately need a savior. And notice that God is going to ground these commandments in verse 2. I want you to notice what verse 2 says. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. As we think about the command to have no other God's We have to recognize and understand that first God grounds this in his identity, in his relationship with his people, and in his deliverance of his people. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, notice that the command and all of the following commands begin in verse 2, where God says, I am the Lord. I am the one true God. I am Yahweh, the God above all other gods. God, in fact, grounds it there in his identity. This is who he is. And he says to them, prior to listing these commandments through Moses for the people, he says, you need to understand who I am. I am the Lord. But not only that. Notice that he says, I am the Lord, watch this, your God. It's not simply that the Lord says to his people, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, I am the one true God. But he says, and I am in relationship with you, my people. I am your God. And then he calls their attention as well. To the fact that he has delivered them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God says, I am the one true God. I am your God, and I have demonstrated who I am by providing deliverance for you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And can I just Press in on us this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, this is also true of you, and it is true of me. We worship the one true God, and he is our God. And he has delivered us from slavery to sin through the blood of his son, Jesus It's a beautiful reminder of the truth of who God is. And then on the heels of that, the Lord says through Moses to his people, you shall have no other gods before me. Maybe your translation says no other gods besides me. Here's what you have to understand, that for the children of Israel who were led out of Egypt, they're on their way to the promised land. God has promised to them, he's going to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. He's going to be their God, and they're going to be his people. What you have to understand is that for 400 years, they had spent time in slavery there in Egypt. And during that time, they had been exposed to the false gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Creatures that were worshipped as the creator. And the Lord says to them, if I am going to be your God, if you are going to be my people, you must worship me and worship me alone. In fact, as we think about it in this light, you read that verse and it has somewhat of a negative slant to it. You shall have no other gods before me or besides me. But I want you to think about it in a positive sense as well, because each of these commandments we're going to see has a positive aspect to it. And here's what the Lord is saying. No other God can compare to me. No other God can come close to being like me. No other God is as great as I am. No other God is as perfect as I am. No other God has created you like I have created you. No other God will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart like I will. No other God can hold a candle next to me so in light of that, come and worship me. For the children of Israel, for them, they would have considered all of the gods that the Egyptians worshiped and looked at them in light of the God that they worshiped. And it doesn't take them long to recognize there is no comparison at all. I don't know about you, but for me, I have a quest in life to find the best burger in town. And I want you to know that I I think I've gotten that location down. It's not where you would think it would be. It's certainly not at a fast food restaurant. That's probably not even a burger. (laughs) I think I've found the best burger in town. I'm gonna share the secret with you so you can go, you can can live, there's a couple of people in here that I've eaten lunch with and I've told them and said, listen, I'll I'll take you to the best burger in town the Philly cheesesteak place right by the outlet mall. Don't go there for Philly cheesesteak. It's awful. Don't do that. Don't do that. Go for the bacon cheeseburger that's straight from heaven. It is the best burger in town. In fact, there is not a burger that compares to it. And so when our staff goes to eat lunch on Tuesdays, you don't have to ask me if I want to go there. You don't have to ask. You know if you say, let's go get a burger, I'm like, I'm in. Because it's the best burger that there is. And I want you to notice that in this command to God's people, the Lord is declaring to them He is greater than any other God could ever try to be. None of them are real anyway. None of them can do anything anyway. So come and worship him. For the children of Israel, that is what they would have understood. As the Lord is delivering this command, you shall have no other gods before me. But I want us to zoom out just a little bit. I want us to think about it in the context of all of Scripture. For us to think about in the canon of God's Word, how do we understand this command as well? And there's a couple of things we have to recognize. The first is this, idolatry, that is worshiping someone or something instead of God, is pervasive in Scripture. Idolatry, the worship of false gods, the worship of something other than the one true God, is pervasive in Scripture. We see this throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. This idea of worshiping something other than God, of allowing the throne of our hearts to be occupied by something other than God. And I want you to know that this happens with the pagans, with those who don't know the Lord, who are not his people. In fact, this is something that he tells his people to look out for, to be on guard about. You may have come in this morning, and for you, you're not a follower of Jesus. In fact, maybe you came in, you're trying to understand a little bit more about who God is and what he's like. And and can I just say to you that right now, You are worshiping something or someone. Right this minute. You are worshiping something or someone. I don't know what that looks like in your life, but you are worshiping. And I want you to know this morning, too, that as you look through Scripture, the second thing you recognize is that there's another theme that's pervasive as well. That is the supremacy of God in Scripture constantly over and over and over again we're reminded there is no one like our God we're reminded over and over again that no one can hold a candle to the one true God no one can even come close to who he is and to what he has done And so for us who are followers of Jesus, we have to look at that and recognize that even for us, what we see in Scripture is that there is the temptation before even God's people to worship things other than Him. And constantly throughout Scripture, the Lord is at work to remind us of how great and how majestic and how glorious He is. I want to encourage you to Join me, turn in your copy of God's Word as we see this play out in Acts chapter 17. You'll see this up on the screen. I want to give you just a a glimpse, not just from the Old Testament as we think about that, but also from the New Testament as well as Paul is in the city of Athens, Notice what happens. It says, Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. For indeed, we are his offspring, being then God's offspring. We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. In fact, I want you to know that Paul, as he is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, begins by pointing to this group of people in Athens. And he says to them, listen, you are really super spiritual. In the Areopagus there, there were gods that were set up to be worshiped, gods to be discussed, gods to be debated about. And he says in the midst of that, you you are a worshiping people. You are a spiritual people. And then he says, but it's kind of interesting, isn't it? You have this place created, and the inscription says to the unknown God. You see, they had all of the gods that they could think about, but in their minds, they were thinking, what if we missed one? What if we missed a God, and we don't worship that God? What if he's the one that's like the real deal? And Paul says to them, "Let, let me tell you about this God that you are missing, Let me tell you about who he is, and notice that as he walks through, first he says, this God is the creator of everything that exists, including you. Not only did he create it all, he is also the sustainer of it all. He created it, and he sustains it, and here's the interesting thing, here's the the fascinating thing, he is never in need as if you could serve him. Not only is he never in need, he reminds them as well that this God, this God that they put as the unknown God, this God is the judge of every single human being. But he is also the rescuer of mankind through his son, Jesus. Paul, in the midst of the Areopagus, looks at them and says, you guys are worshiping all of these gods. But let me tell you about the one true God who deserves your worship and my worship. As we think through Scripture, we're reminded that Idolatry is pervasive throughout but the supremacy of God is a theme throughout as well so in light of that let's zoom out once more and let's think about this command you shall have no other gods before me in the contemporary context what about you and what about me? How do we understand this command? How do we take what God gives us here in his word? Is it important today? And if it is, how do we best understand it? Well, here's what I want you to understand first. We are wired to worship. Every single human being is wired to worship which means you and I are worshiping every single second of every single day. We are wired that way. God has created us to worship, and we are worshiping. The question is, what or who are we worshiping? You know, it's interesting. We, the first house that we bought was in a city called Americus, Georgia. It was the, in the middle of a pecan grove. It's a pecan. It's not a pecan. Just go ahead and dispel that. It's a pecan grove. And one of the things I didn't recognize when we bought that house is that roaches love that location, And so one night, I went into the kitchen. It was dark. I flipped on the light switch. And they were having a party on the countertop. But as soon as the light came on, they scurried away. And I want you to know, for us as followers of Jesus, when we talk about idolatry, what we are worshiping instead of the Lord, as soon as we say that, It's quick for us to scurry somewhere else and not think about it, to go, oh, no, I'm worshiping the Lord. But let me ask you, these are some helpful questions for us this morning to diagnose potential idols that may be present in our lives. And let me say this at the beginning, they may be good things, We talk about family, we talk about finance, we talk about security, we talk about a lot of things that may be good things. The problem is when those good things become God things in our lives. When we put them on the throne of our hearts and we truly worship them instead of worshiping the Lord. So let's look at these questions together. Number one, what am I most passionate about? What do I talk about the most? What is on my mind the most? When someone starts to, to talk about this, it gets me so excited, jazzed up. I'm, I just can't wait to talk about it. Is it politics? Your kids? Grandparents? Is it grandkids? Is it your job? What are you most passionate about? And then the follow-up to that, what are you most afraid of losing? That thing very well could be God in your life. If that were taken away, the way you would respond in that would not be helpful. Is it security financially? Here's the second set of questions. Where am I spending my time, my talents, my treasure? You see, the truth is where we spend our time, where we spend our talents, the gifts God's given us, where we spend our treasure, the funds that God has entrusted to us, where we spend that is a very good indicator of what's most important in our lives, Here's the third set of questions. Where do I run for comfort or security? Where do I run for praise or validation? Where do you run for comfort? When everything crashes around you, where do you go for comfort? Where do you go for security in those moments? Or when you're not feeling great about yourself, where do you go for praise? Where do you go for validation? Again, a window in to the thing or person that may be God in your life. And here's the fourth. What makes me uncontrollably angry, anxious, depressed, or discouraged? What is it that if this happens, I fly off the handle in anger? Someone says something negatively about me, I fly off the handle, and and it's pride that is you are God of your life. How dare someone say that about you? We are worshiping every moment of our lives. As a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that you are worshiping every moment of your lives. The question, what or who are you worshiping? The Lord says to us, you shall have no other gods before me. No one holds a candle to me. No one can compare to me. The Lord says, I alone should be God in your life. Life and you should worship me. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Believer the opportunity before us every single second of every single day regardless of what we are doing, is to worship the Lord and Him alone. It's not easy, but we are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within us to do what God has called us to do. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. As our worship team comes back up, as we sing, to close out our service this morning, maybe for you today. You're not yet a follower of Jesus. You are worshiping, but it is not the one true God who sent his son Jesus to rescue you from sin. And this morning, the opportunity is before you to recognize that he alone is deserving of your worship. To respond by faith right now, trusting Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus this morning. But the truth is, if you're honest, as you think through those questions that we looked at, there is something or someone that's taking up residence on the throne of your heart, that's grabbing your affections, your attention, You are worshiping that thing or that person. And this is a moment right now for you, an opportunity to respond in repentance today. To simply cry out to the Lord and say, God, I am sorry for worshiping something that cannot even compare to you to receive that forgiveness this morning and to commit once again to worship the Lord. God, help me worship you and you alone. You are the only one who deserves my worship. Maybe that's the response for you this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Would you pierce our hearts today with the truth It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you join us, stand, sing. Our altar is open this morning. If you need to spend some time in prayer before the Lord, maybe in confession, this is your opportunity to do that.